Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's Word. In the month of December, we jumped into the Gospel of Luke and we began with the accounts as it relates to the birth of Christ. We're still there. We'll pick that up again next week in chapter 2. But we thought here at the beginning of the year that it would be fitting to go back to Luke 1, 1 through 4 and explain the purpose of Luke's gospel and to grow in our understanding. So Luke 1, 1 to 4, I invite you to stand as I read the word of God. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Lord, I plead with you now that you would grant certainty to those who have gathered for the things that we have been taught, the culmination over the lifetime of the teaching of the Word of God, and for those who may hear for the first time today, I pray that you would apply your Word to the hearts of them as well, that we might have certainty in the gospel of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to tell you that you live in a time of great uncertainty. Last March, the COVID virus upended the world in which we live. We've been continually asking the question, when are we going to get a handle on it? When are things going to get back to normal? And as I like to refer to it in December, we entered into COVID 2.0 where we've seemingly started again. So when will we get back to normal? Or I think some are starting to ask this question, will we ever return to normal? Then our nation, what, what is happening? What is going on in our nation? What is next? What's going to happen today? What's going to happen this week? What's going to happen the week following and the months to come? Then you turn on the television and turn it to a news channel or you, you open up social media to Facebook or other places and you find all these people speaking with certainty. People make these absolute certain claims. Then you turn the channel or flip to the next post and somebody makes an absolute certain claim that is utterly and completely contrary to the claim you just read. How do you know what's real? How do you know what's actually going on? I think all of that's just making us more uncertain. Philip Ryken, president of Wheaton College and a pastor, wrote this sentence about the first four verses of Luke 1. Doubt gnaws away at the soul. I'm going to replace his word with uncertainty. 
Uncertainty gnaws away at the soul. I see it happening to us, brothers and sisters. It's gnawing at us. It's pulling at us. It's dragging at us. And thank God that we now take up the gospel of Luke, which calls us to rise above the uncertainty of the day in which we live and look to the historical yet eternal theological truths of God's word. And what Luke tells us is this, is that certainty can be attained. Here's the main idea. The purpose of the gospel of Luke is to persuade readers of the certainty of the unfolding plan of salvation, history culminating in Jesus Christ. If I was going to put headings in the Bible, which are not inspired, by the way, there's a little italicized part in mine. It says dedication to Theophilus above verses one through four. I would put the purpose of Luke. Luke does something rare that many writers don't do. He tells you why he's writing. He tells you what he set out to accomplish. But before we look at that, let's just ask the question, who is this man? Who is Luke? First, you need to understand Luke is a Gentile. He's not Jewish. He's not Jewish background. That's significant because he is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. Everyone else is Jewish background. We learn from Paul's writing in Philemon, verse 24, that along with Mark and Aristarchus and Demas, that Luke is my fellow worker, Paul says. So he joined Paul in the work of getting the gospel to the world through Paul's missionary journeys. We also know from Colossians 4.14, when Paul writes that Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. So we know Luke is a physician. And here's how you see that play out. Luke writes very specific and observant things. He's not verbose. He doesn't give you a lot of words. But when he writes, it's very detailed. You can see it. And he is a faithful servant. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 11, Now Paul is at the end of his life. He's in prison. His life will be over very soon. And he writes to Timothy these words. Luke alone is with me. Nobody else. This is a faithful servant, a, a brother in Christ, a fellow worker who stays with Paul to the very end. But he's also a writer. And we read when we read what he has written, we find that Luke... This Gentile is a theologian. He is a highly intelligent individual who, guided by the Holy Spirit, sets out with a very specific purpose to write Luke and, I would add, Acts. Luke's gospel is the longest of the four gospels. And when Acts is added to it, which Luke also wrote, that means this. I'm going to give you a detail. I bet some of you didn't know. That means... Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone. So let's repeat here his main idea. That the purpose of the gospel of Luke is to persuade readers of the certainty of the unfolding plan of salvation history culminating in Jesus Christ. So how does he do this? How does he accomplish this? 
First, Luke accomplishes his purpose by compiling a written account based on the accounts of eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Now that's lost for you because this was an oral culture where things were largely shared by mouth. But Paul sets, I mean, excuse me, Luke sets out to write. Now, I want you to look at one through four very quickly. Just scan it and find the periods. How many periods in verses one through four? You might have found it. That was a hint. It. There's only one. It's one sentence. Now, I can't read Greek. I'm trusting scholars. But what Luke does here in these four verses, he uses formal classical Greek. It's rhythmic. In the Greek, it's poetic. It's balanced. Luke's letting people know right off the bat that he is an educated man who writes in an intelligent fashion. He's gaining the attention of those who would read. So in this sentence... He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So what's Luke acknowledging here? He's acknowledging he's not the first person to write about Jesus. He's also acknowledging that he's dependent on those who have gone before him, those who have undertaken to compile a narrative. That means people who have sought to organize a complete and orderly record of the things that have been accomplished. And this is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means these are events which are done. They're perfected. It means that God is active, that God has accomplished them. Verse 2, for just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So Luke tells you the source of his information. There's no evidence that Luke saw Jesus. There's no evidence that he heard him teach. Doesn't mean absolutely 100% that he didn't, but the New Testament does not reveal that if he did. So Luke is telling you how he came to the information in which he is writing in the Gospel of Luke. Now we know if you get over in Acts, you'll find the word we. That's speaking to him being present in those moments. So he got his information from eyewitnesses. Those who saw Jesus, they saw what he did, they heard what he said, and they witnessed what was done to Jesus by others. Now these people were not simply storytellers. Luke says they are ministers of the word or servants of the word. And what does that mean? It means that the gospel didn't belong to these believers, but these believers belonged to the gospel, that they served it, that they were a witness, not masters over the word. They had submitted themselves to serve and to make this word known. A pastor over 150 years ago nearly, J.C. Ryle in England, which is known for its pomp and circumstance even among the church, Ryle wrote, there is utter absence of a man-exalting tone in this text. So what does he mean? He means Luke didn't make the apostles out to be something. 
This, this, this gospel's not about the men. It's not about the eyewitnesses. It's not about the ministers of the word. It's about the message. This message that has been deliver, delivered them to us, that they have handed over. It is formally imparted. It's what Luke's saying. It's been given to us. In Jude, verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, handed over, imparted. Brothers and sisters, we have here the word of God, which has been delivered and imparted to us. We have been given this gospel, this word, which is for our salvation. But it is more than simply our salvation. We have been entrusted with the truth of God's word, which must be proclaimed and it must be defended with confidence. For we understand the truth because of how the Bible was written. Now, Luke tells you how he goes about writing. That he accomplishes his purpose by writing an orderly account. An orderly account. Now, I'm, I'm reading a book um, on concentration. It's called, anyway. It's even hard for me to concentrate to explain to you about concentration. We live in a world now that we are controlled by seconds with our phones and our devices. And I just want to challenge you. just want to challenge you. Which, which, by the way, this is free. This is extra. Stop reading your Bible on your phone. You know why? Because your phone's doing 15 other things while you're trying to read the Word. It's impossible to concentrate when you're getting texts and emails and notifications while you're reading the Bible. Can't do it. I can't do it. I don't do that. I tried and I stopped. You want to be able to concentrate. Now you say, Pastor, why are you saying this? The only way you understand an orderly account is if you concentrate. The reason things seem so disjointed for the modern mind is because the modern mind is disjointed. We need to learn to see what's actually here. He says, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus, the name means beloved of God or friend of God. So this man's either a new Christian or he's considering the claims of Christ. So writing to Theophilus and ultimately to us, Luke says this is the method and manner of which he's written. I'll give you four things here. First, he followed closely. That means he pays attention to detail. He's a doctor. He's careful. He's accurate. Just notice the details Luke will give you when you're reading. Second, he considered all things. That means he considered everything. He was comprehensive as he went about writing. Now, he didn't tell you all things. John, in the writing of his gospel, says, if I told you everything about Jesus, there wouldn't be enough volumes to contain it. 
So he considers all things that he gives attention to detail. And then it says for some time past. So this took a great deal of time. Luke didn't throw this together. (laughs) In other words, he didn't sit down to write this paper the night before it was due. He took time to write, number four, an orderly account for you. So let let me help you read Luke. It's primarily chronological. Starts with the birth of Jesus, ends with the resurrection of Jesus. Throughout that, it pretty much follows his life. Now, notice I said pretty much. I'm going to tell you why Luke will deviate in just a second. Secondly, Luke is geographical. Starts in Bethlehem, goes to Nazareth, then to Galilee, the trip to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, that's where Jesus dies and is resurrected. So it follows this geographical train of thought. But Luke is also theological. Luke wants you to understand who Jesus Christ is. That he is the Son of Man. This is how Jesus most often refers to himself, and that's why we're calling this series Son of Man. It's what Jesus said he was. That means he is the Son of Adam. He's fully man, and he's also full of God, fully God. He is the Son of Man that Daniel describes who is coming in all of his glory. But he's also being theological so that you understand the fulfillment of salvation history, this unfolding plan of God to save humanity that culminates in Christ. So if you study Luke's gospel closely, here's what you're going to find. 400 allusions to the Old Testament. So this Gentile, not only has he gained this account, he's gained this understanding of the Old Testament and applied it in how he writes this orderly account. Now here's where Luke will leave his chronology. In order to theologically explain something, he'll step out of the timing to place it in his writing in such a way that you understand who Jesus is and how it's being fulfilled. Now, what we've included here is the outline for how we're going to handle the different series within this big series. So our first series is the Son of Man Revealed, Luke 1 through 4 where we're just establishing who Jesus is through his birth, his childhood, and the beginning of his public ministry. Then we'll turn our attention to the Son of Man among his own, where Jesus has ministry and functions primarily in Galilee, particularly around the Sea of Galilee. Then in Luke 9.51, you have this turning point where Luke writes that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. So from that point forward, you have the journey to Jerusalem and Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. And then in Luke 22 to 24, you have the Son of Man unveiled where you see the crucifixion and everything that related to that and the resurrection of Christ. The goal and desire is that as you read this orderly, well-written account, remember, Luke's goal is that you have certainty. Certainty in what you've been taught. Certainty that Christ is our Lord and Savior. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And we also thank God constantly for this. When you received the word of God which you heard from us, 
You accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That's my prayer for you as you take up the gospel of Luke, that you will accept it for what it is, the word of God. And that when you do that, this application will happen in your life. This So what? That as I read and study the gospel of Luke, I should expect growing certainty in the Christian faith. Verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke writes in such a way that you will have a biblical faith. So what do you mean? That you will understand that the Bible is a cohesive unit. That Luke is not just writing in isolation. He's bringing to bear these 400 different references to the Old Testament. He's showing you the connective nature of the Bible. It's also so that you would have a historical faith, that you would understand that what transpired with Christ took place in time and space. Luke ties it to individuals and dates, which can be verified through history. And last, that you have a verifiable faith. Luke was not just a doctor. I would argue Luke was an investigative journalist. He delved into what happened with Jesus, and he writes with great clarity using eyewitnesses. Now, some of you had the same experience I had in college, and I'm just telling you young people, you need to be prepared when you get to college with great convincing nature, either a literature professor, English professor, or a Bible professor is going to stand up in front of you and tell you that the Bible is full of myth stories. And one of the first places they're going to attack are the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're going to use words like myth and legend. That Christianity is based on a bunch of manipulated facts. A lot of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the name C.S. Lewis. Let me tell you what C.S. Lewis did for his profession. He was a professor of literature, particularly medieval literature, at the University of Oxford. Now, you're not a dummy if you teach medieval literature at Oxford University. He says, quote, in my private life, I am a literary critic and a historian. That's my job. I am prepared to say on the basis, that basis, that if anyone thinks the gospel is either a legend or some form of a novel, then that person simply is showing themselves as incompetent as a literary critic. I have read many novels and I know a fair amount about legends that grew up among early people. And I know perfectly well that the Gospels are not that kind of writing. So brothers and sisters, don't roll over the moment somebody tells you something like this. And here's the number one way you don't roll over. Read it for yourself. And when you read it and study it for yourself, then the purpose of God will play out in your actual life. That God will take, this is what it's actually called, a historical narrative. 
The story of Jesus written in history. And here's what you're going to find. That this gospel is about Jesus and about Jesus saving work. And more than that, you're going to see that the one who stands behind all of these events is the sovereign God, the Father, who is concerned to see that his people are never abandoned and that his promises, which he has made over time, and his plan is perfected. What we see is who Christ is and the fulfillment of the word that dominate the gospel of Luke and I would argue also Acts so that you may believe and have certainty in the faith according to the word of God. Let me just do something very quickly. Turn to Luke 2. Luke chapter 2. And we'll be here next Sunday. Look in verse 10. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All people. Isn't it interesting the Gentile emphasized that? All people. It's not just for the Jewish people. This is for all people. Now, what's, what's the good news? For unto us is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, not just a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. All people, all people need a Savior. Those all people are me, you. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, the trustworthy saying, deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or of whom I'm at the front of the line. Christ came to save sinners. I need Christ. I need salvation. I also need an ongoing trust in Christ. I need to know and understand the word of God is the source of certainty. That's why he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3, As for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now I had a little time over the last several weeks. Man, COVID and quarantine, they can have it. But gratefully, I got to spend a lot of time reading and thinking. And when I read this study, I could not believe it. An academic study was done of Christians during COVID. You know what happened with your handling and reading of the Bible? It drastically went down. How in the world can that be? How in the midst of the most uncertainty, those of us alive, except maybe for those of you who lived through World War II, how can we who've lived through the most uncertainty ever in our life abandon the Bible? What are we doing? How how, how did we get here? Brothers and sisters, we're harming ourselves. Salvation's never going to be found in Facebook. Ever. Ever. A little ditty quote from Facebook will not warm your soul. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to read. We need to study. We need to hear the scripture proclaimed. And we need to pray and long to hear, to understand. Question, does God want you to understand the Bible? Then, then why do we keep saying, I don't understand the Bible? Who doesn't want to understand it? God doesn't want me to understand it? Or maybe I don't want to understand it. Or I don't want to take the time to understand it. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, this is how the, the gospel ends. It says he opened their minds to understand the scripture. What a fitting way for Luke to end the gospel. You think God will do that for you? I know he will. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. Now, not that you see that on the 50th week and the 39th day on this mountain and this rock and they're going to find this guy and he's going to show. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. This obscure conspiracy kind of stuff. Here's what we're looking for. Here's what he opened their minds to see. That the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to, oh, there it is again. Who? All nations, all peoples, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that's where he picks up Luke, and he continues the unfolding plan of salvation history that has culminated in Christ with the witness of the church. Brothers and sisters, we are a part of that church. We are the witnesses to these things. We are the ones who have been sent by the Father, clothed and empowered by the Holy Spirit from on high. The theme of witness is crucial to Luke in his writing with, once the resurrection happens. And it continues through Acts. And that is to be a central part of who we are. That we understand that we are witnesses. That we have a message. That we have a mission. And that mission and that message is the mission and message of Jesus. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And here it is. Could Jesus be any clearer? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And that is our mission. Now, brothers and sisters, look up here. Luke didn't just write this. He believed it. So when everybody else ran, when Paul was at Rome and about to die, there wasn't but one guy left. Luke, the beloved physician. He's with me. Only Luke alone. Luke gave his life for the gospel. We are to take it up. 
And we may be in a world that don't like it anymore. But it's still our mission. And it is still our message. J.C. Ryle, who I referred to earlier, prayed over his church. This was his prayer as I pray for you. Let's bow. Oh Lord, as we take up Luke's gospel, may we do so with an earnest desire to know more of ourselves, to know more for ourselves the truth as it is in Jesus. And that what would grow in us is a hearty determination to do as much as we can to spread the knowledge of the truth of Jesus throughout the world. Use this study to give us certainty. Such certainty that it would ignite within us anew and afresh the desire to make this gospel known. We confess we are not saved because we take up the mission. We confess that because we are saved, we take up the mission. We confess that it is through the blood of Christ and Christ alone that we are saved. So renew our hearts and speak to those who are in need of the gospel as we confess to you that it is only through the blood of Christ that we come to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name.